Amen. We praise the Lord for his amazing grace. Amen. And it truly is amazing, and I hope we don't get over it. You know, that it becomes commonplace, and we take his grace for granted sometimes, don't we? But that's amazing grace that we stand clean and blood-bought this morning, and I'm grateful for it. Hope you felt that weight in worship. I know that I did after, after that song, Waymaker, you know, that he, is, uh, he makes a way that even when we don't see it, he is working. And, um, and I just appreciate JT's prayer in light of that song. And we just um, know that he does make a way. Amen? And he keeps his promise. And he's absolutely faithful to his word. And today is no different than any other day in that respect. And um, I'm grateful for that. So uh, before we go, let's just pray. We're going to pray right now. Yeah? All right. So God, we just thank you so much. Um, just like JT said, that you are the way maker. And God, I pray that you would light a spark in our hearts. And in our minds that the amazing grace that we sing about and that we proclaim to the world around us through the lives that we live is not just commonplace and that it's not something that, uh, just that we get used to. That our hearts and our minds are bent around the fact that you are good and that you have sacrificed yourself for us, that we might have access to our Creator God. And that today we stand clean, clean, redeemed, and free, and able to live <laughs> A life in your presence, Lord. And God, from this relationship that we all share, God, when we leave this place, really, like JT was saying, would there be a spillover into a world that is just lost? That is lost, and they obviously just don't know you, and they don't see your light, the people who have not been regenerated. God, would you help us to operate in grace and truth to a point where they do see something is different, and they see you in us, and they desire you. God, just for a second, Lord. Would you stir this nation? This generation has not really seen a big revival like we've heard about in days of old. And God, if we, before today, haven't been hungry for that, God, would you make us hungry? Would you stir this nation back on its feet in your presence? Bring us to our knees in your presence, submitted to you, knowing who you are. God, would you do that in this place? Start it even here, God. Would you bring revival like we haven't seen as a nation in so long? And we say, come Lord Jesus. We await your return. <laughs> but as you keep us here, God, help us to be busy. Busy about being in your presence and that you would use us, God. Use us. What a beautiful thing it is that you can use us. That you have cleaned us up and you have redeemed us. And we have relationship with you. But you do that and you can use us for your kingdom and for your glory. And God, would you put us about that business. God, thank you for the weight in worship. That when we tap into your presence that you give.
And Lord, help us to be waiting for your instruction that we might be obedient and that people might know you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Good night. I don't know where that came from. I want the Lord to move. There's a lot of loud voices in our nation that are totally opposite, that are totally godless. That somebody like Jesus would meet with grace and truth and cut through that darkness and shine the light. And I want to see it. And I hope you do too. That in the middle of a rough world that we live in, that we don't become callous or angry but rather stand on grace and truth. So, if I can continue, I will. Good night. I just appreciate the presence of the Lord. So, uh, last week I planned on um, moving from Ephesians and taking from the back part of Ephesians, that back half, and... uh, Finding somebody in the Old Testament that we could um, glean from a season in their life where they operated as an Ephesians kind of believer in the Old Testament before Jesus ever came. And um, look at their prayer life, because if you remember at the end of the armor of God, he says that those last two things, that helmet and the sword, we pick those things up by prayer. And that we should be careful in prayer and consistent in prayer. And um, for all believers everywhere. And so I was going to pick up from that, go to the Old Testament, but I, as I was kicking the can down the road for this week, I just couldn't go that route yet. And um, where I wanted to go, just it didn't work out. I couldn't get this, um, just the, 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 the um, temperature in our nation off of my mind. And um, specifically right now, we've got a month and we've got a, an event today as a church called the Life Chain. And um, I saw that coming up, and saw it on Wednesday again, and it was just picking at me, and I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, get rid of it. So today, if you have your Bible, we're going to go to Psalm 139, something that's very familiar to many of you, if not all of you. Um, but before we do, and as you turn there, um, I want to just think generally, in general terms, about abortion. Again, because I realized, you know, as I was thinking about things that, yeah, I, in general, stand against it. But then I, I realized, you know, over time, laws change and new things come along. And I just wanted to make sure I had a good basis and sense of what is the law of the land today, not only in the federal sense, but in the state. What does our state do? What are our regulations? So um, our minds go straight to um, ending the life of an unborn baby. And, um, but there's many complicated issues that I was reminded of when I started picking at this um, this week that exist in between the lines. And um, in between those lines, on the spectrum of what people believe about abortion, um, we spend all day addressing each little issue. And in fact, we've spent decades addressing each little issue. Um, decades since the 70s. Everybody knows um, Roe versus Wade. And um, so speaking of... Um, what is generally legal, you have to bear in mind, keep um, at the forefront of your mind that because of Roe versus Wade at the federal level, that no state can ban abortions. Um, uh, see, w- sometimes there's a concept of 22 weeks gestation, um, but the law does not specifically say a certain time. It uses and it brings up this term called viability. 
and viability. I'll talk about that more in just a second. But generally legal, um, no, no states, because of Roe versus Wade, can completely ban abortion. Um, and then using the, the term viability to say when we can and when we can't. And then the states have their own laws and practices um, that fit within that larger framework. And um, North Carolina, um, looking into the specifics of what is allowed here and the regulations that fit inside of Roe versus Wade, what we've done is we just bring along some regulation that somebody that provides an abortion has to be certified to do so, and then um, any young lady or lady that comes in to, to seek an abortion has to have counseling. And along in that counseling, there are very specific measures of counseling that you have to receive. And some of that is on adoption information, some, some good resources for somebody who may be seeking an abortion. And then in our state, um, you have to wait another 72 hours before you can actually have an abortion after you first request for one. And um, so just looking at all those little nuances and what's there and what's actually legal, and there are plenty of people around our country that would even look at our state and say we're way too conservative. You shouldn't have to wait 72 hours. You shouldn't be telling them about um, adoption options and those kinds of things. So again, there's lots of, there's lots of things on this spectrum that we could talk about. So um, really all of this extends. When you go back to the 70s and you go back to the ideology that created this law that we live in now, um, and, I, and I do want to say, I said it last night, and it hit my mind, and I realized when I was thinking about this that um, I'm pushing 35, and I have never, and JT's older than me. Where's JT? He's, because uh, <laughs> he said the same thing. <laughs> um, I'm pushing 35, and it may come as a shock to some of you. I have never lived in an America where abortion was, as a majority, um, a thought that it should not be practiced. The majority vote for all of my life, the majority of our society has said it's okay. So you got to think about the, um, the, you know, along a person's life, how many adults they encounter either at schools or other places or friends that they encounter. So this has kind of infiltrated our culture to where um, it's widely acceptable. So um, it all really stems from a disagreement on morality. And morality seeks to ask the question, what is right and what is wrong and who gets to say? You know, what is right, what is wrong, who gets to say? Um, we would love to all have a society where we all um, agree that the who gets to say in that equation is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the reality that we live in is we do not live in a society where that is the major voice anymore. At least not in our policy, not the loud majority. We um, rather see this um, likening to the cyclical pattern that we see in the book of Judges. Where most often in the book of Judges after Joshua, you have this idea that comes across and you see it in Noah's day also where everybody just did what was right in their own eyes. And it's kind of the version of truth that's being pushed in our day-to-day. -day. Relative truth. Meaning, what's right for you may not be right for me. And you need to keep what's right for you in your house and that nose on your face. And allow me to decide what's right and wrong for me, right? And I'll keep my nose on my face. 
And that's kind of the idea that has infiltrated our culture, that we don't want to um, stand really for anything or against anything because we have this idea of a relative truth rather than an absolute capital T truth. You know, that truth is truth, and feelings really don't impact that. Um, so getting right down to the moral argument that surfaces in our law, policy, and practice, it mainly hinges on that word viability. And viability would say that any child that can live outside of the womb, this is a viable um, pregnancy or a viable person. Um, so the moral argument here is that viability determines validity. I say it again, that viability determines validity is what one side would argue. That's the moral argument. Does viability, meaning that child can live outside of the womb, does that, is that the determining factor of validity, that it is a valid life? So in the middle of all of this, 2020, where do Christians stand? And there's two words that I can't get away from when you look at the life of Christ and where I think we should be standing. And one is grace, and the other is in truth. That um, we've got to live with this idea in our society that we cannot expect people who have not come in contact with Christ and accepted him and been regenerated to act like they have. It shouldn't surprise us when people who are dead in their sins operate as sinful people. Right? They need to see the light and the salt. They need Jesus. They need him. And we should definitely be the one there to show him. Show him, to show his character. But as we stand in grace, with the realization that any time this topic comes up, we could very um, easily be in the earshot of someone who has had an abortion. Should we reap the coals over that person's head? You know? And I'll refer you back to the Gospels to answer that question. But Jesus also stood in truth. Absolute. Capital T, Truth despite feelings. And I think we should too. So this means that we should never run to the, toward the popular opinion, loud opinions, cultural norms, what everybody else is doing, or go with the flow and the path of least resistance. You know, I'm reminded just before World War II, there was this ideology that rose up, named itself a leader, Hitler. And the loud opinion of the day was that Jews should not exist anymore. You had a whole group of people who became powerful enough that that was the leading idea. I see a correlation today. This ideology has infiltrated our culture and made it okay. Right? Abortion. So we cannot follow popular opinion or what's the loudest. Our default setting has to be firm. And that is that we go to the word of God. We run to the word of God. And in that, just like the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesian church, we put that belt of truth on. And we stand in the truth unwaveringly. That is who we are. The default setting, the filter with which every belief and practice is filtered through in our lives. Every attitude, all these words that we may be able to use, that it is filtered through the word of God. 
and we stand in his truth unwavering. So I want to consider, that's why we went to Psalm 139, I want to consider um, by evidence of the inspired, infallible word of God, what does God consider to be viable human life? Viable human life, worthy of rights, dignity, and protection. What does God say? So that's where we're going to go to one, Psalm 139. Now, I do want to say about Psalm 139, that's some heavy stuff, right? <laughs> um, but Psalm 139 is not about um, abortion. It's not about um, life necessarily. But what we see is this beautiful picture of King David before God and praying to him in this intimate moment. And God begins to reveal himself to David. And David is writing it down through this psalm. And through this psalm, we see this idea that David's God is bigger than comprehension. He is bigger than we can understand, but he's closer than we can even formulate the words enough to explain. That God is both transcendent and imminent. That God is close, but he is also above all things. I'm reminded of the word of God that he calls the earth his footstool. You know? And I'm just like a little speck on the footstool. But God is close and personal and loves us. Is what David is seeing. And he's going to see this um, through, you know what? Um, I talk too much, so we're not going to read through it the first time. I'm going to go through it. Um, give me a second. <laughs> we're going to read through it in the King James, but, um, you know, I talked too much, a little, you know, at that beginning spot. So the thing, what we'll see in Psalm 139 is um, God's omniscience. It's very clear. When you break this psalm into about four parts, it's very clear that as David communicates with his God and God reveals himself to David, and then praise the Lord that David wrote these things down as he did so that now today, 2020, we can also see God's character through this life that David was living in the Lord. And he very clearly, we'll read it together, lays out God's omniscience, that there's nothing that God does not know, nothing he doesn't see. He's going to lay out God's omnipresence, that God is everywhere at all times. And we'll find when David is breaking apart this idea that God is everywhere, it's not just a physical place, the beach, the mountains, but also within and in the seasons of our lives that God is not absent from any of those places. His omnipotence, that God is all-powerful. And it is here in an individual way that God reveals to David just how careful he was in the creation of him as an individual. And thereby we can apply that to our own lives. God sets this pattern of creation and he does, he does it to a particular pattern with this outcome that is very individual and specific to each human. And then there's this human response. God reveals himself. And then there's this response that David has that I hope that we'll all have after coming in contact with God's character and with his word this morning. So that's um, the theme that we'll go through. Give me just a second. There it goes. And I think I pushed it 20 times. So now, okay, there it goes. All right, so God is transcendent. I wanted to make sure that we catch these two things. So beyond the range of our um, human experience, um, transcendent, and we can't understand completely um, all that God is. He is close. I talked about that. Existing, operating within, that he is inherent, innate, built in, um, that this is the God who sees us, who lives inside, and man, that print got small. So y'all follow along in your Bible, or I'll read it to you right now. All right, so 
Um, here, this is verse number one. I'm using for this breakdown part the NLT, so I'll call out the verses just in case you're using something else and you'll be able to follow along. It says, Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. This is David um, in this communication with God. You've examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down. You know when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. This is number four. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me and too great for me to understand. I encourage you as you go through this part, this is that piece where we can see God's omniscience as you go through this part, not to just consider these principles as general principles for all people, but to truly personalize these things that if God knows every little piece and part of who we are, of the fabric of our being, you really think about what that means. And that means that our God knows us better than we know ourselves. And how is that? Because there are places, there are times in my life that impact today that I might have forgotten about. But God sees every single thing and knows every part. And I don't know about you, but I, I don't know where your mind goes when you think about this. As David is reading these words off, your mind could go um, to a place where, well, God knows everything about me. And some of us, our minds have this default setting that goes to, man, that means God knows every wrong thing I've ever done. Every bad thing that I've ever done, God's seen it. Every time that I willfully, intentionally disobeyed him, he was there. And it could reap shame on us. And um, just from some of my background, I had to set up a guard in my own heart for those things. That when I read this, coming from the background that I came from, where holiness or hell, you know, that, we, <laughs> that is um, very much about living and doing and being, um, and that having been drilled in my head, I have to set up this default in my own mind that I don't go there. That I have to turn that kind of whispering, that stuff, that um, I have to be careful to make sure I do never view God as keeping a record of my wrongs so that um, one day down the road when something bad happens. See, there's this idea that develops along the way that if God is a God who's keeping the record of every wrong and he saw everything that I did wrong, then when something bad happens in my life, you probably know somebody, you may be this way yourself, it causes you to question, well, God, what did I do? Maybe this event, maybe this ugliness right now is in recompense in some way for something that I did wrong back here right? We've got to learn how to turn that around on the enemy as he whispers that stuff and to walk in truth for ourselves. Because the truth is that my failure and my sin hangs dead on a cross. Every bit of it. How do I know that? Because the Word of God says that Jesus himself, who never sinned, who does not know sin, became sin. That he himself embodied and became sin. Sacrificed on the cross that the penalty for my sin is gone. That my wrongs, my sin cast as far as the east is from the west. And that as he was taken off the cross and put in a tomb, according to Romans chapter 6, he rose again three days later. And so I, when I was regenerated in Christ, I also am risen to walk in a newness of life. 
So as I consider God knowing every piece and fabric of who I am, it should not just go to that place, oh man, God has seen everything that I've done wrong. He also sees every hurt, right? Every ailment, everything that has entered our hearts that makes us cry. We, you know, you, um, we see evidence in the word of God that our tears in God's presence are not wasted and he sees those things. And we cannot completely get our heads around how he knows everything, every hurt, every need. And we should try to wrap our heads around that. And it would give us a proper view of the God who loves us, who saved us, right? Who redeemed us, who wishes for us to have a close, personal, intimate, and truthful relationship with him. Our world population, almost 8 billion people. You know, and that should boggle our minds. 8 billion people. And yet God is not struggling to keep up with the really serious things. He's not struggling to keep up with my petty either. As I run into his presence with something that later on I'll say, man, I shouldn't have even been worried about that. But God is not struggling to keep up with me because he's got 8 billion other people to look after. And when you think about it, you, he created us all as eternal beings. So God somehow in his awesome power. He does know individually and closely and personally every person he's ever created, which is innumerable. Go back to Adam and Eve and try to count that. Can't do it. So we have God's undivided attention. I do not have one eight billionth of his attention. He loves us. He is there. He sees. He knows. He cares. And in the New Testament, he tells us to cast our cares on him because he cares for us omnipresent, that God is with us at all times. I can never escape your spirit, David says. If I try to run, if I try to hide, I cannot escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. This is the picture God revealing himself to David to say that there's nothing God does not know and there's also nothing um, no place that God is not. And like I said before, I don't believe that this is only referring to physical places as drive to the ocean, get on a boat, go out in the middle of the ocean, and God is still there. I do believe that that's still true. Depths of the sea, he's still there. You know, there's nowhere that he's not. But there's also a lot of places that we can turn on the inside, right? That we can, um, we have a, a, a good ability as a people to throw a smile on our face. And nobody really knows where we're at, you know? But all of those places in every season, there's not a place that God does not go, that he cannot go. There's a man named Oswald Chambers that deals with this section of Psalm 139. And I want to share, um, he did a devotional, if you don't know it. It's called My Upmost for His Highest. My Upmost for His Highest. Some of you know it. And um, here in the January 9th, um, he... He gives a little, a little bit about it. He's talking about intercessory prayer, intercessory introspection. And um, he's a little deep. So you might need to go find this on your own. It's January 9th, Oswald Chambers. And I'm going to read it one time, but sometimes you've got to read it a few times to really get it. Because it's, like, um, 
It's like he's trying to speak to me. I know it, but I don't know what you're saying, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but, man, it is so good. It's so good. So I want to share it with you. He says, your whole spirit, the great mystical work of the Holy Spirit is in the dim regions of our personality, which we cannot get at. He encourages us, and I encourage you to read the 139th Psalm. The psalmist implies you are the God of the early mornings, the God of the late nights, the God of the mountain peaks, and the God of the sea. But my God, my soul has further horizons than the early mornings, deeper darkness than the nights of the earth, higher peaks than any mountain peaks, and greater depths than any sea in nature. You are the God of all these. Be my God. I cannot reach to the heights or the depths. There are motives that I cannot trace. Dreams I cannot get at. My God, search me out. Do we believe that God can garrison the imagination far beyond where we can go? The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If that means in conscious experience only, only the sin that I know about, he says, may God have mercy on us. The man who has been made obtuse by sin will say he's not conscious of sin. Cleansing from sin is to the very heights and depths of our spirit if we will keep in the light as God is in the light. And the very spirit that fed the life of Jesus Christ will feed the life of our spirits. It is only when we are garrisoned by God with the stupendous sanctity of the Holy Spirit that spirit, soul, and body are preserved in unspotted integrity, undeserving of censure in God's sight until Jesus comes. We do not allow our minds to dwell as they should on these great, massive truths of God. That's a, a mouthful, and that's good stuff. These great truths of God. I'm reminded in these hard times that are innate in this moment of Psalm 139, where we go inside and there are the things that other people can't see, and maybe even emotions and thoughts that we don't even understand ourselves, that God is in those places. And I'm just reminded that he gives grace for every season. We could spend time looking at other people's lives or tragedies or hardships and think, I don't know how in the world they're going to get through that or how they did. And we pray for them. But then I'm, I realize, you know, there's an uh, overwhelming thought this week that I realize that God gives grace for every season of our lives, whether it's dying grace or living grace, you know. Um, to get through in every single moment that when we pull up to his table and we ask him for the strength to make it through, he is always faithful to come alongside us and give grace for every moment. Amazing grace that we sang about. James tells us to count it all joy, all joy when the testing of our faith is happening. And why? Because it produces patience. And when patience has its perfect work in our lives, that we are stable. We're stable, we're complete, and not lacking anything. First Peter says that these hardships that we go through, it's like going through a fire, and what comes out on the other side is valuable, refined gold. God is omnipotent. He says here, omnipotent, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. Now, this is where the connection is made. 
The whole psalm is not about this. But as David is revealed by God, God's character, his all-powerfulness, nature, his all-powerful nature, he is omnipotent, that these are the things that come along for David as an individual, that you, God, made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit. Everybody say knit. Knit and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven. Everybody say woven. That's in my version. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, your version may say. Woven, knit, fashioned, formed. You saw me before I was born, and every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand, and when I wake up, you are still with me. After we read that, after we consider what God says about human life and its validity in that moment, it takes me to a place, you know, when I read this, I think about um, Sylvester and Tweety and the granny, you know? And she's always sitting there with that pink ball of yarn and she's got her needles going until Sylvester does something crazy. And I just think about the intricacy of knitting and weaving, forming and fashioning. That some of you ladies know, some of you men may know, when you weave, when you knit, you're forming and fashioning. Yes, it might be after some sort of a pattern, but after you finish, the thing that you just created is individual all its own. We don't have time to break it open, but look at the, just the idea of what we know already about DNA and how no two people are exactly alike. And each one of us is individual by nature. And David is saying here that God supervised that whole process from beginning to end. A piece of artwork that God put together not on accident and not as like an Americanized, prefabricated, um, interchangeable parts kind of productive, get it done way. That's not what we see here. We see intention and purpose and meaning and God from this precious life of David numbering his days before they're ever even lived out. So I pose the question again, what does God consider? Not loudness, not popular opinion, not a political party, none of that stuff. What does God say? What does God consider to be viable, valid human life? Worthy of rights, dignity, and protection. God reveals himself in a beautiful way to David. And David has a response. And we'll watch it. David's response in this fourth part of the psalm says, God, if you would only destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme, they blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. 21, oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those that hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? And 22 says, yes, I hate them with a total hatred for your enemies are my enemies. 23, search me, God. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. 
and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I cannot get away from the fact that after being exposed to God's character, who God is, David's response is overwhelmingly, I just don't want anything to do with anything that has nothing to do with you. Let wickedness be abolished and let God reign supreme. You know? To have a real desire Overall, that God would have the preeminence in our nation, in our culture, in our world, in our families, that God gets to say in our church and everywhere that we go, that his name be lifted up and his kingdom and his glory be established. And therefore, David points the finger back at himself and he says, so God, search me out. Know my heart, test my anxious thoughts. And if there is anything in me, understanding that you see more than I could ever see, but if there is anything in me, in my way that offends you, point it out and lead me in the right direction, the direction that is this regard for who God is in my life. Right? I love this song. Love it. Um... Today, we have an opportunity um, to serve notice to our community, to our nation, locking arms with other Christian people, that there are still people who care about what God says, who still care about human life and the sanctity of it. Um, throughout the Old Testament, mainly, you see this idea of the ebb and flow of God's people. And every now and then you'll see God mention, everybody say a remnant. A remnant. A remnant, that means a leftover. Where the majority might be going completely against God and serving idols and doing some craziness, but there's a remnant. There's a people who are left who would say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God of the universe and we will submit ourselves to him. And that is our belief system that our society should also be submitted to him to take our free will and to turn it back over to him and that be reflected in our nation, in our policy, in our laws, and the way that all of us operate that when we look at a moral authority, that there's a specific place to point back to and it has nothing to do with my opinion or my feelings. There is still a remnant of people who would like to see God's word upheld, not only in our personal life, but God's word upheld and reflected in our official laws, practice, and in our country. Today, there's life chain. And life chain it's something that the church has participated in a long time. But I'm going to be real with you. Over time, the, the um, involvement has dwindled. Not, I'm not saying necessarily from our church, just from an observation on battleground as I've been going for the last six years. You've seen it kind of dwindle. And I'm just saying right now, this issue is at the forefront of the minds of our country. And today we can serve notice to our community that there are a band of people who will band together under the authority of Scripture to say that all life matters, including those who have yet to be born. And how dare we sanction the interruption of God's beautiful <laughs> artwork. 
and in that life that God has purposed. Amen? So we can stand together today. Silent, prayerful, and peaceful protest. We have an opportunity today to stand on the street and show what a peaceful protest really looks like and be a good example to our community, how we make our, um, our stances known. So Battleground, home, uh, Lowe's, that's where we're going to meet. I ask you to be there by 2.15. Starts at 2.30. You only stand for an hour. They permit chairs. You can bring a chair if you don't feel like you can stand for a whole hour. Signs are provided. I'm going to run down to TJ Maxx, grab the signs, and I'll meet you guys at Lowe's. Um, I will be there. Um, Dr. Miller is ready with his flag post. He's ready to go, and I'm ready to stand beside him. <laughs> and uh, um, so you can bring a chair. Signs are provided. And as far as social distancing goes, since 1987, they've encouraged everybody to stand at least 20 feet apart anyway. So um, by design, it is socially distanced. So I hope to see you guys there. Um, if you cannot make it, at the end of the day, I just want to leave you with that weight that I believe that the Lord placed on my heart and your heart this morning. I want to see him move in this nation. That our prayer will become, God, send a revival to this land. And for real, let it start right here. In my heart and in yours. In this church, in this community. May we lift him on high. Amen. Anybody here, anybody listening online that does not know the Lord, you get in touch with a staff member and we would love to walk you through salvation. God, we just come to you and thank you so much for the weight of your presence. God, I pray that as, um, as, our, as you are revealed by your word, by the life of King David this morning, God, that you would have us to have a similar response to King David and that our whole heart and mind would be bent in the way that, God, I just don't want anything to do with something that does not have to do with you. And I want you to be God and you to have the first spot, the first place in my mind, in my heart, and therefore, Lord, so search us out, know us. And Lord, I pray that you would stir up a hunger and a thirst in our minds, in our hearts for revival, for righteousness, for your presence, a hunger and a thirst for your word that is insatiable. God, thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy. And we do not take your spirit that is right here with us for granted this morning. God, thank you for the weight of your presence. And again and again, for your goodness, lead us in your way. God, help us to be your people, ready to act as you say act, Lord, in Jesus' name.